Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer here today with an author and an artist, Elizabeth Zunan, and she is going to read to start our podcast what sounds to me like poetry. It is from her just published book, Grandpa Cacao. We're from a land called the Ivory Coast, Daddy says, where I grew up watching big, graceful elephants roam. It's where the air breathes hot and damp, thick with stories and music and the languages of people from tiny villages and big cities. Grandpa Cacao's farm was the pride of his life. Thank you. It's hard to describe. I wish we were visual because the marriage between words and pictures in this book is just stunning. Can you just tell us a little about the evolution of this book. I know when I talked to you almost 10 years ago, you had this book in your head. So just tell us a little about it. Yes, it all started um, as a, a college art, well, an art school project, um, stemming from an interview that I did with my father about his childhood. And from this interview, the assignment was to create an artist's book with different landscapes inspired by the interview. So I created five different landscapes um, based on my father's memories of his childhood in the Ivory Coast, West Africa, which is also where I grew up. But when I lived in the Ivory Coast, we lived in in the economic capital of Abidjan, a big city, and I never experienced the traditional um, fam- uh, village life up country like my father had. So the, the, the landscape that stuck the most in my mind after this interview with my father was um, an image of he and his brother and his mother walking through the cacao plantation on their way to his father's cacao farm. So um, the idea of cacao and chocolate and where chocolate comes from and how it is made and the work of the farmers really inspired me to create a lot of different projects during art school inspired by this. And so this idea has stuck has kind of been in the back of my mind for many years, and finally it's come to fruition with this new book. So what made you choose as your life's work? You've done a lot of illustrations of children's books and now written one. Why children's books? What, why is that important? Um, well, I grew up in, in uh, uh, a family that always had books. Um, my father's my father grew up speaking French. My mother's from Albany, grew up speaking English. So we had books in English and in French in my childhood. Um, and every summer when we would leave the Ivory Coast to come to Albany to spend about six weeks with my American grandparents, we would always watch Reading Rainbow on public television and we would always go to the bookstore and um, the Pine Hills Library and pick out books. So this idea of Sharing stories, reading stories, learning about stories from all around the world has kind of always been part of my, my upbringing. Well, I think what's wonderful about this, when I bought it, I thought, oh, I'll give this to Olivia. She's a girl I know, you know, and she'll love this. But I don't want to part with it now. I think it really, it's certainly a children's book, but it, it has a deeper meaning. It works on so many levels. Um, it has in the author's note at the end a sort of scientific description of what goes on in making chocolate. It has a recipe for the very cake that's being baked. But it has kind of, in addition to the story, which I hope you'll tell for us, it has like a deep moral resonance to it. Um, it just 
makes you understand that it's, it's, de- it's dedication, which I like, is for all the grandmas and grandpas who broke their backs working in the fields so we wouldn't have to. It, it certainly has its heritage and setting and strength from the Ivory Coast, but it is universal in a way, too, because we all have ancestors who came before us who really did do the hard work. So if you could just talk, just tell us the story of the book. Well, the book is about um, a little girl and her father, which are basically myself and my father, baking a chocolate cake in the current day in the United States. And as they add the different ingredients together into the bowl, the father is recounting the memories that he had of his father back home in the Ivory Coast, um, following his father to the cacao plantation, cutting off the cacao fruits from the trees, cutting them open, scooping out the beans, fermenting them underground for a couple of days, laying them out under the sun to, gr- to dry, bagging them up into big burlap sacks and selling them off to the cacao buyers. So as they add every ingredient into the bowl, they're learning about a different step that grandfather did back home at, on the farm. And it's wonderful because you'll have like the sound of the cacao pods cracking, crack, 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 and then you'll have the little girl, you, <laughs> cracking the egg, crack, crack, crack. I mean, yes. it's very parallel. Yeah. And you also have this sense of your father saying, you know, that his father could tell when the pods were getting a little orange. And then the girl says, oh, that's like me, because I can tell when the leaves are starting to turn. And they're all the way through are these wonderful parallels. And the little girl is waiting, her mother is out getting the birthday surprise, and she's thinking it might be a party dress, it might be a puppy. And then the big surprise at the end is... Is Grandpa Cacao himself shows up at the door with a special gift for the little girl. And um, did that happen in real life? Or no, in real art? life, I, I've never met my grandfather, my Ivorian grandfather. I've never even seen a picture of him. So this is kind of like bringing him back to life. And, and um, you know, I, I've always had this mythical image of him in my mind, and I've never re- really been able to nail down, you know, his physical appearance. So this is an, an, an attempt of me um, as an artist trying to kind of create him fully on, on the on the page. Well, another thing I hope you can tell us about, too, is the artwork. What struck me, and I'm sure anyone that looks at it, <clears throat> the scenes in Africa are so very different than the scenes here. Mm-hmm. And um, it's almost like a reverse silhouette. I don't know the artistic term for it. But, you know, the scenes with the grandfather... Like there'll be the little girl holding the bowl of the cake mix, and then there'll be the grandfather on a facing page holding the bowl of cacao. And he's, what do you call that? He's all white, like flat, like a reverse silhouette. Yes, exactly. He, um, the grandfather, is created with silk, silk screen. So he's a screen printed flat image on top of the painted background. So wow. I was trying to create kind of kind of like a ghostly figure, kind of like a mythical figure, but um, showing him as something not quite real because she's never met him. She's never seen him, um, but she's learning about what he's doing and he's kind of bigger than life in her mind. And he's bigger than life on the page, yes. the way he's portrayed. But then when he shows up at the door, he is rendered in the same way that she and her father were rendered. And right. what exactly is that? 
I mean, it's not, it, it's like, um, a mosaic almost, the way you piece, like yeah. there's a scene with the curtains at the window and the curtains, you feel like it's real lace, like yes. laid down on yep. the page. Yeah, I like to, well, my favorite um, art medium is oil paint. And I also love using cut paper collage. So I thought that using cut paper collage as well as oil paint would be a great way to make these two worlds come together and to just make the images look more tactile rather than just simple oil painted images. Um, so yes, when Grandpa shows up in the book, he is rendered as a, a, a realistically painted older man with gray hair. And he's wearing um, a piece of African fabric draped around him like a shawl. And that piece of fabric is, is actually taken from a piece of fabric that I have at home. And I, so I scanned it onto the computer, printed it out, and then cut out the different shapes of his shawl and glued them onto the painting. So there's a lot of elements of fabric and paper from my own childhood that I've also um, added into the illustrations to make, to, make, to make the story look more real and feel more real to myself and hopefully to the readers. Oh, it does. You feel like you could feel it. And mm-hmm. you're kind of disappointed when the paper is smooth. <laughs> yes, the paper is so smooth. It pops out at you as if, yeah. it's, as if it's tactile. Mm-hmm. Wow. So... Um, what are you going to do? Tell us a little about promoting this book. I know you have an upcoming thing at the Book House. Yes, tomorrow, Saturday, June 1st, from 3 to 5 p.m. at the Book House of Stuyvesant Plaza is the book launch party for this book. So it'll be story time, book signing, and I have a special um, chocolate maker guest, Oliver Holacek from Primo Botanica in Troy, that's going to be um, doing a little bit of show and tell about how he makes his chocolate with, you know, cacao beans that he sources, um, and his process of going from, from bean to bar. And then do you have further um, engagements? Um, yes, my l- next um, local engagement will be at um, Coco Bar in Schenectady on June 29th. And that is a beautiful little chocolate shop right across from Proctor's Theater. Um, and we're j- going to have a chocolate party there. And the books will be provided by the Open Door Bookstore right around the corner from Coco Bar. So do you have plans? I mean, this has been in the works for so long. Do you have other ideas that you hope to, now that you're both an author and an illustrator, that you hope to create? Yeah, I have a lot of ideas about stories. I like stories about where things come from and how far things travel to get to us. Um, I'd love to write a story about salt, I have this vision of um, caravans of camels with big chunks of salt on their backs um, walking across the Saharan desert in northern Africa. Um, I'd also love to do a story about um, African-American, the the influence of African-American music on African people in Africa. Um, I think... I think sometimes in America, we don't realize how strong our pop culture influences resonate all around the world. Um, my father was a big fan of jazz and blues from Louis Armstrong. And you mean that when he was living yes, in Africa, yes, that when had he was, traveled over and yeah, music his- that had traveled. Um, so I'd love to write a story about Louis Armstrong when he was on his West African tour, when he went to Ghana and the Ivory Coast. And I'd love to do a story about how, you know, the influence from influences from all around the world um, are part of our daily lives. 
That sounds wonderful. I can't wait to read that. <laughs> can't wait to write and it. Are they going to be all children's books, these different ideas? Yes, yeah. I think so. I love the picture book medium. I love, um, you know, sticking to a 32-page or a 40-page or a 48-page format and, you know, writing a story that's also going to teach a lesson or um, hopefully share something interesting to young readers and older readers as well. How does it work in your brain when you're you're plotting out a book like this is do the words come first and then you think of the pictures or do the pictures come first or is it like a marriage that happens Um, simultaneously the pictures always come first for me um i've i like to say i'm a visual learner and it's always pictures and symbols and imagery that pop into my head first and then i search for the words to try to describe them or nail them down or create a story with words and I really got the sense, unlike some books where you feel like the words are kind of tagged on, they're, they're just sort of part of the story. And even the way you place them on the page, like that passage you read at the beginning, mm-hmm. you've got an, a map of Africa so people can clearly visualize where the Ivory Coast is. Mm-hmm. There's a little piece of fabric there. And I'm knowing what I've just heard, I bet that has a meaning. Yes, that's the same fabric that Grandpa Kapow shows kinda, in and, oh, at yeah. the end of the book. And there the words are on top of the continent where it's lighter and you can read them. But it isn't like a lot of... Uh, children's books where they're here's the picture and here's the word and they're they're kind of separate you know everything kind of is built in together yeah that's um that's a conscious choice obviously to just to create an illustration where there's going to be room for the words but also you don't want the words to be a distraction from the art itself and so um the art director and the editor of the book are are integral in, in figuring out where the text is going to go and what color the text is going to be. Sometimes I have to make sure that everywhere that I know text is going to be, I have to make sure that the underlying area is painted in a light color so that the text shows up um, clearly in black. And sometimes I have the ability to create a dark background so that the text is printed in white. So it's always... Uh, a lot of back and forth between the illustrator and the art director and the editor figuring out what color the text is going to be, where it's going to go, and what it's going to sit on top of so that it's easily readable. And I know over the years that you've illustrated a number of books for other authors. Could you just tell us about some of those? Because they sure. sounded really yeah. interesting, too. Yeah, I've had the privilege of illustrating some great stories. Um, the first that pops into my mind is One Plastic Bag, Isatu Sise and the Recycling Women of the Gambia. Um, that is written by Miranda Paul, and it's a, it's a true story about a young woman in Africa who um, saw that there was a, a plastic bag um, trash problem in her village in, in Jao, Gambia. So she went about cleaning up all of the dirty trash that was polluting um, the neighborhood, the botanical garden, the sidewalks. So she and her friend gathered up all of these plastic bags. They washed them in soap and water. They hung them up to dry. They figure out a way to cut the plastic bags into long strips of plastic yarn or plarn, and they crocheted them into beautiful little purses, change purses. So Isatusi say is really a... Um, creating a lot of change in her country, in the Gambia and all across the world. And thanks to this woman who had this idea about recycling plastic and ridding her environment of harmful plastic, the Gambia has outlawed plastic bags, thanks to all of the work that she's done. And Isa too, and the author of the book, Miranda Paul, were on a book tour 
a couple of years ago when that book came out and they actually came to Altamont and we did a little um, story time and book reading with them. So I love illustrating stories about real people solving problems, changing the world. Another um, one And that- what's nice about that story, too, is it seems like it wasn't just clearing up pollution, but creating a small economy, you know, out of something that would have been useless. Exactly. Employing the women in her village that wanted to earn an extra income. Employing men also in the village that wanted to learn different skills and earn another income. Um, another book that I've illustrated that comes to mind is The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, written by William Kamkwamba and Brian Mueller. I've never had the privilege of meeting William Kamkwamba, but he's really influential and, and inspiring, once again, a lot of people all across the world to um, using wind energy and solar energy to create machines that are going to better their their villages and their, their communities. Um, William Kamkwamba graduated from Dartmouth College in 2014 with an engineering degree. He is from Malawi, East Africa, and the book is about how he built a windmill out of pieces of junk that he found um, out in the in the junkyard. He had to drop out of school um, because there was a drought in his village, and all of the crops that his family were depending on failed. They had no money for food. They had no money for school supplies and school uniforms, so he had to drop out of school. He found um, a book at the library called Using Energy, and he was inspired by the, the photograph of windmills on the cover of this book. And he decided, if the people in this book can build a windmill, so can I. So he went to the junkyard, gathered pieces of plastic and PVC pipe and an old bicycle wheel and a light bulb and all these things that others had thrown away, cobbled them together into a working windmill that was able to light a light bulb and illuminate his house for the very first time because no one in his village had electricity in their homes. So he's gone on to create a lot of different projects around his country and around Africa using um, windmills, solar energy, water pumps. So he's really another inspiring young person making great change in the world. Wow. I'm wondering if you always knew you wanted to be an artist. I visited your house once. I think it was to interview your father and his thoughts on the Civil War. And in your the childhood house, or maybe not childhood, because you moved here when you were, what, 12 or 13, but your teenage, teenage house, yeah, teenage house. <laughs> were pictures of a blue boy yes, I, that you did, I guess, as a Gilderland High School yes, student. Yes. So tell us about those. Wow, I almost forgot about those. Um, yes, those were a project that I did my senior year at Gilderland High School. Um, it was inspired by actually a children's book that I had when I was a kid in the Ivory Coast called Le Petit Garçon Bleu, or The Little Blue, blue boy. boy. And it's just about um, a little blue boy who is experiencing um, basically racism from his friends. But, you know, instead of being a different shade of brown or a different shade of tan, he just happens to be blue. So, yes, those paintings that were in my house at the time were um, a reinterpretation of that story um, using um, landscapes and and images from my childhood in the Ivory Coast and having little blue boys in, in various settings there. So there seems to be a common thread. You seem to have focused on stories that come from Africa or that have to do with kind of a multicultural Mm -hmm. theme? Is that on purpose? Is that something like you see yourself almost as an ambassador spreading spreading the good works to people Um, that might not know about it? Or is it? Yeah, I guess I could say that I see myself as a little bit of an ambassador. I think everywhere I've lived, I've kind of been felt different or looked different than many of the people around me. 
um, coming from, you know, a family where my mother is white and my father is black. A lot of times in high school, I felt like a minority, like there are not many people that look like me. Um, and I would like to help to bring positive images of Africa to people, you know, all around the world and especially in the United States where I live. As a kid, I realized that on Africa, when um, we would be here in the States and watch, you know, the six o'clock news, if there's ever a story about Africa, it would be about a war or famine or disease. And there was never positive images about things that were happening on this humongous and diverse continent. And also, I think people forget that Africa is not one country. It's a huge continent with about 55 countries. And each country has its own languages, its own cultures, its own foods and music. And and so I feel like, yeah, I would like to be part of, you know, helping to share different stories about different countries and people in Africa. So what is the day-to-day life of an artist like? It must take a lot of commitment. I know when I talked to you about 10 years ago, you were working in a flower shop in New York. I mean, just to, you know, sustain yourself while you're pursuing your art until you finally get to the point where you can be a published author. Like, what's your day-to-day life? How do you piece together the different projects that sustain you? Yeah. Well, today I'm lucky enough that I'm a working illustrator and I've been able to to quit the day job at the flower shop. Um, But yeah, it's not until, you know, I have had a couple of of book contracts under my belt and some money saved up in the bank from the day job that I was comfortable to, you know, say, okay, I'm going to commit myself 100% to this. So in terms of my day to day um, activities as an, an author and illustrator, I wake up, I Breakfast is very important. <laughs> Take a long time to make my breakfast, make my latte, drink my water. Um, breakfast is important just as a nourishing meal or like you have some... As a nourishing meal... So many meal, of us skip breakfast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as a nourishing meal and just to, to kind of get my brain settled and focused so that I can create, you know, a, a good amount of work in the morning. So I like to paint in the morning upstairs in my studio where the light... Um, is is really nice in the morning time. And, and then, is this in Albany? Is that where you're yes, located? Okay. Yes. Um, and then I'll have a late lunch. And then I might go back to my painting um, after lunch or in the evening. I like to, that's when I would like to work on my drawings and my sketches and my research. And if I'm working on um, illustrations for a book that have collage or cut paper elements, I like to do that in the evenings and sometimes late into the night. So morning is painting, afternoon is drawing, evening is cutting tiny pieces of paper and gluing them onto my So your day does have a rhythm. Is it, it's yes. the light that makes the painting in the morning? Yes. That you can, yeah. Yeah. And, and in I the think, evening you're more introspective and thinking. Exactly. About, yeah. Isn't that yeah. interesting? Well, can you tell us about like how you physically go about this? You mentioned like some of the fabrics, but I mean just... Um, I'm trying to think at like um, Norman Rockwell has, you know, they have a museum and they mm-hmm. have like pictures that he took of the various subjects and yes. they have them arranged to see like how he would create the art using these various local models. Yes. I mean, what, what sort of, how do you go about that? Well, um, I don't use models except for myself. So I often pose and dress up in the ways that I want to draw and paint my characters on the page. I will take pictures of myself acting out what happens on each in each scene, and then I will use the photograph of myself acting out the scene 
as reference to draw the sketch. And then after I draw all of my sketches, I scan them and submit them to the art director of the book and the editor and ask if they would like me to do any changes. Sometimes they'll say, okay, you might want to add um, some trees in the background on this page or on this page, the character's head looks too big or you forgot to draw his left hand. <laughs> so so these are people you've worked with regularly and trust, and they are do you, um, different every time different for every, every book? Different every book, yes. Oh, wow. Um, so, so some books I've worked with the same publisher and therefore the same art directors and editors. So yes, we have a little bit of more of a, a working relationship. But is there a tension there? I mean, is it like mm. an editor with a reporter story and the reporter saying, hey, no, really, it should be this way? Or is it really you trust them to know what? Um, I wouldn't say that there's tension. Sometimes they have an opinion and my opinion is different. So I will have to either, you know, convince them that I'm right or they'll have to convince <laughs> me that they're right. And sometimes, you know, we don't agree on everything, but I'll do it one way and then I might regret it later on. Um, but I feel pretty comfortable at, at um, in my career at, the, at this time where I can, you know, really fight for something if I find that it's, it's important to the story. Yeah. And so after you've um, created them and you submit them sort of as you go along? Usually I submit them um, when they're all finished. So usually for a 32-page book, I will create around 16 double pages or spreads of illustration. So I will submit those so 16 you all at design once. design them to go together, the yes. two different... That's what I loved yes. about this book. It's just, you really must have thought to have those two pages because they so often parallel each other, mm-hmm. but in contrasting ways. Yes. So you're reading the words, but you're seeing these images and thinking of things differently exactly. than if you just saw the words. Yeah. I love symmetry. As a, as a visual artist, I love symmetrical things, but I also love symmetry with where there's something that's just a little bit off or a little bit different. So that's what I'm trying to do in those pages where the left, you know, the left image kind of mirrors the right image, but they're not quite rendered in the same way. Do you have certain authors or artists that are models for you or that inspire you or that you look to as ideals? Yeah. Um, When I was studying illustration in art school, um, Kadir Nelson was someone that I I really turned to it as in terms of um, his process and also his ability as a fine artist painter. Um, He's an African-American children's book illustrator and author. And from him is where I learned the technique of dressing up your models, dressing up yourself, photographing yourself to use as reference for the sketches and then the paintings and the books. And has he seen the work you've done? Um, I don't know. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, you should send him this. I know. Maybe we'll, we'll, meet each other at a conference or something in the future, but we've, I've never had the privilege of meeting him. And then also growing up, um, Ezra Jack Keats, author and illustrator of The Snowy Day and many other books, is a big inspiration in terms of how he uses his collage and his cut paper and his drawing and painting to create really scenes and imagery that tell a great story. Our time has gone so fast. Do you have any closing thoughts or things you'd like people to know about yourself or your art? Or um, Maybe I'll just leave you with um, eat chocolate. And every time you <laughs> eat chocolate, think about the farmer's hands that harvested and cut open and, and scooped out all of the beans that were then made into the wonderful chocolate that you're eating. Great advice. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks.